Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Hello and welcome to Bible Interact Presents. I'm Christy Anderson. We've been discussing study foundations and we've been looking and focusing at the first of the top 10 things you need to study the scriptures effectively. And that first thing is meaning. And so we've been looking through the different aspects of meaning. We started with meaning as a referent, what is something referring to, and then meaning as sense, uh, what is being said about the referent, and then we began to look at intentions, meaning as intention, both uh, looking at the author's intention, and then we had jumped to barely start our look at divine intention um, and how these are working together, both the author's intention is his own day and then the divine intention, what God is wanting to convey uh, throughout history and the very significances of the meaning that was relevant to the author but is also relevant to us. Um, one of the aspects that, of sense that we didn't quite get to, and I want to still address, is uh, this um, aspect or an additional factor with regard to the author's intentions that must be considered uh, with regard to corporate or singular fulfillment of prophecy or a corporate or singular referent. And so I wanted to hit on that real quickly before we went back in and continued on our uh, discussion of divine intention. So, for example, Israel is punished for her sins corporately. But Yeshua, as her singular referent, uh, or I'm sorry, representative, I mean, uh, may take on the punishment she deserves. A modern example of this might be how a CEO of a company can stand as a singular representative for an entire corporation. Thus, if the corporation is sued, for example, the CEO would act as the corporate representative of the entire entity. In the same way, Israel is a corporate entity or a group comprising many people, including both the native born from uh, the house of Judah and the house of Israel, as well as the sojourning believer from the nations, all of whom must ultimately be grafted into the Israel of God by faith in Messiah. But Yeshua qualifies as one who is able to stand in place of the whole corporate entity. To illustrate in modern terms, if the International Business Machines Corporation, or IBM, IBM uh, was in a lawsuit, the case would likely be listed as, for example, Anderson versus not the whole word International Business Machines Corporation, but just IBM. In such a case, this illustrates the sense of corporate solidarity where the many, all of the people related to that company, and the one are treated as one entity. And both of the official, both the official corporate name, the Long International Business Machines Corporation, as well as the abbreviated IBM, which it is well known as, would be considered the same entity. IBM, of course, consisting of management, employees, and stockholders, uh, is in this case sued as one single entity. However, in most cases, only the CEO or top officials would generally come before the judge 
in the case and be represent, uh, responsible, if you will, for the behavior of the corporate entity, entity even though they didn't themselves maybe, uh, they weren't personally responsible for something, some mishap or whatever that had occurred. While this is not a perfect example, it does provide a basis for us to understand the idea of corporate versus singular representative concepts detailed in scripture. So that, I wanted to just throw that back in because we, we didn't quite get to that and we ran out of time in the last program. And we had started just barely to dive into the divine intentions. So we've looked at meaning as a referent, meaning as sense, and now meaning as intention. We looked at the author's intention and now we want to focus on the divine intention. And we had looked at uh, it briefly. We had just basically, um, you know, I'm just going to re- recap a little bit of what we looked at. We said in 1 Corinthians 2, it affirms that and tells us that the writers were taught not through human wisdom, but through words taught to them by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Now, while Moses was directed to write the Torah audibly and directly face to face, all of the other writers were aided in their writing of scripture through inspiration and by first having learned God's truth via the Torah, because some of them had some of the prophets and writings to refer to. I mean, they had the books of Moses to, to refer to, to guide them as they interpreted the things going on in their own day and tried to make sense and see what God's will would be for their own day and as well as prophetically. And then we also have, as we go on, they each had previous prophets' writings as well. And um, and so you see they, they weren't writing from a vacuum, if you will. With the Torah of Moses as our foundation, the Spirit was a, um, able to enlighten their eyes to God's truth and empower them to write consistent with God's truth intentions in relationship to their own situation and time, as well as with regard to their dreams and visions of the future. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, we see Paul using, um, as he did elsewhere in Scripture, his spirit versus flesh contrast, which makes the previous point regarding the importance of the Torah as the plumb line or foundation of all truth detection, if you will, for mankind. All the more clear. It makes it all the more clear. Now, Paul explains that men of flesh cannot understand God's truth when it is presented to them. The NASB provides the extra words in 1 Corinthians 2.13b to help the reader understand the intention they believe that Paul was speaking of in the Greek when they write, but in those taught, but in, sorry, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, the italicized words are the NASB's interpreter's editions. In this case, they're used appropriately. But these additions go to the heart of the idea that the writers of Scripture used the Torah as their foundation for testing the spirit that bore them along as the meaning, uh, as the means, I'm sorry, of learning and then conveying truth. The Spirit of God spoke to their hearts and enabled them to apply those truths to their own situation and also receive and interpret prophetic dreams and visions. What we need to be careful to point out is that when the authors of the Bible wrote, they wrote with the same truth intention God intended them to write. But this is distinct from cases in the text where the story the authors told reveal a situation where the hard intentions of the men in the story may have been different than the pre 
uh, or the purpose intention God had in mind. For example, a case of man's uh, purpose intention being different than God's in Scripture would include Joseph saying to his brothers, You, brothers, intended me harm, but God intended it for good. Or the Assyrians who intended to destroy Israel, but in reality God was using them as a rod of discipline in his hand in Isaiah 10. Another example would be God's use of Cyrus, who himself did did not acknowledge God in his life, but God used him for his own purposes in Isaiah 45. In all of these um, instances, divine purpose and human intentions were different. However, these examples do not deal with the actual writing of the scriptures, which carried with it a unity of truth intention and a divine human cooperative where Peter indicates that the writers were born along, 2 Peter one twenty one, or that the Holy Spirit superintended the writing in such a way that the truth was made known or revealed to the author so that they could understand it and then use human language in a normal way to accurately communicate those truths in writing. The Holy Spirit empowered the authors to write in a way that preserved God's truth intention and also preserved the Bible from error when it was first written down, even though each author had different levels of personal writing skills and abilities. So that's pretty much uh, what we have to say here in, in regard to the meaning is intention when we're talking about that divine intention and how that's working hand in hand with the human authors and their own uh, maybe writing limitations or writing skills. So the next element or aspect of meaning we're going to cover, because we've looked at now referent, meaning is referent, meaning is sense, and now meaning as both human and divine intention, is meaning as significance. And this is one of the more important aspects of meaning that we should really understand. And I'm going to use it um, as distinct. Um, you could say a significance is a type of meaning, but... To make things more clear, um, in my book, I use meaning as the literal, historic, author's intention type meaning, whereas we use the terms significance and application as um, a way to communicate the distinction between author meaning and then personal application significance, maybe for us or for other periods in history, maybe applying a prophetic verse to Messiah or something of that effect. Now, people today, and many preachers and pastors in particular, fall into the language trap of using the term meaning and significance as if they are one and the same thing. They are, however, very different. The importance of being able to see and recognize their distinctions and relationship to each other is critical when it comes to interpreting the biblical text. We will deal with this topic in greater depth in chapter 2, but... For now, let's focus just on the basic distinctions. So meaning, meaning is defined as that which is represented by the text. It is what the author meant by his use of a particular sign sequence. It is what the signs represent. Significance, on the other hand, names a relationship between that meaning and a person or a conception or a situation or intend, or indeed, really, anything imaginable. So let me say that again. Meaning is defined as that which is represented by the text. 
It is what the author meant by his use of a particular sign sequence. It is what the signs, in other words, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, making up words, it is what those things represent. Significance, on the other hand, names a relationship between the meaning and a person or a meaning and some kind of conception or a meaning in a situation or indeed a meaning in anything. Um, So significance describes the relationship between the meaning and something else. Most of the time, that's going to be us. A famous English professor from the University of Virginia, E.D. Hirsch, Jr., in the 1960s, contributed much to restoring a sense of sanity to biblical interpretation when he stated, To banish the original author as the determiner of meaning is to reject the only compelling normative principle that could lend validity to an interpretation. So, in other words, by that time, uh, when he was writing in the 1960s, um, interpretation and hermeneutics had gotten so liberal and and wishy-washy and away from um, anything of of sense, that basically it allowed the reader to just make the meaning say whatever they wanted. Whatever it meant to them, that was the meaning. Um, So it had gotten really away from any kind of uh, normative principles or any kind of way to determine um, actual meaning. It's like if you wanted to talk to your friend and they could just decide whatever you said uh, uh, was what they wanted to hear. And so obviously no one could communicate in such a situation. So believe it or not, for centuries, the source of the meaning of a given text had in theological and scholastic circles transferred to the hearer rather than the writer or person seeking to communicate in the first place. These crazy ideas only serve to cause confusion and undermine our ability to discover the real meaning the authors intended to convey and consequently inhibited our ability to discover God's truth intentions inherent in the scriptures. Hirsch also clarified, though, for interpreters in that time, uh, the need for a clear distinction between meaning and significance when he stated that the first objective of hermeneutics is to make clear the text verbal meaning not its significance. And I think that's very consistent with the approach of uh, the rabbis as well. They always start with the base meaning, and then they go to the what you maybe describe as deeper levels of meaning. But really, those deeper levels are significance. And that's basically the same thing. So if we're talking about Christian hermeneutics or we're talking about uh, rabbinic interpretation, they're basically doing similar things when it comes to the linguistic side, which is what we're dealing with right here. Now, meaning is that which is represented by the text and what the author meant to say by the linguistic signs represented. Significance, by contrast, then names a relationship between meaning and a person, concept, situation, or anything, any possible number of things. For this reason, a non-believer, simply by the fact that he is a human being and capable of understanding human language, can study and learn the meaning of a biblical text. However, he will never be able to consistently cross the bridge from meaning to significance in all cases. While he can still understand the meaning of the words the author wrote, he will not be capable of understanding the proper significance of the meaning God intended to communicate to man. To cross that bridge, that interpretive bridge, from historical, grammatical of that to personal application, Uh, you have to be able to consistently apply the meaning to oneself 
or a situation correctly. So a person must have the Holy Spirit to do this. And and that's when Paul says at some point, you know, you have to have the Holy Spirit in order to make proper uh, meaning. Well, what we're saying there is to make proper significance or application to an individual. Um, you can discover the link through linguistics and just, you know, what the author was saying. Uh, anyone can do that. But unless you have the Holy Spirit, you're probably not going to apply that properly. Therefore, even though non-believers can find the authentic meaning of a text and provide valuable literary and linguistic insights in this regard, without the Holy Spirit, the non-believer is not capable of consistently coming to the proper conclusions about the significance of the meaning. This concept is particularly true with regard to properly applying the meaning of the text to one's own life today, i.e. making proper application or significance of the meaning. This exact idea is explained by Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.14 when he says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So that's, that's what Paul is getting at there. We're talking not about meaning in the sense of uh, what did the author mean based on the, the words and the syntax and so forth, but what does that mean? Uh, what does that meaning? How is that related to me? So that's talking about meaning as sense. So we looked at meaning as the referent, okay? And now this is a little closer to meaning as sense. And you see how a lot of this overlaps, but there are very important nuances that I hope you're starting to um, get a little bit of understanding. And as you continue to study, you'll these things will start popping out at you. Now, for example, I want to give you another example. The Pharisees, for example, understood the meaning of Yeshua's words when he called them hypocrites. Okay, so they understood the, what a hypocrite was. But when he expressed his being a chad or one with the Father or his, or his being Messiah, so he, they understood that too. They knew what the words he was using, what he was implying. So he knew they, that he was calling them a hypocrite and that he was calling himself a chad or one with the Father and um, that he was uh, the Messiah. Now, the problem was not that they did not understand the meaning of his words. They simply would not accept the significance of his words as truth and applicable to them. So now we're talking about that relationship. They understood what he said. They just didn't agree with it. And they didn't want that significance. They didn't accept the implications of that meaning that he brought out as related to himself. So the significance can always apply to the biblical text in uh, also, or can imply to the biblical text by way of inferences, even um, uh, beyond the literal meaning. So, significance has many, there can be many significance, even to the point of inference. And uh, we'll have an example here in a moment of what I'm getting at here. So, a 19th century commentator noted the following. If inferences are not binding in the interpretation of the divine law, then we would ask for the express command, which was violated by Nadab and Abihu. Abihu, uh, gosh, sorry, I'm trying to read the transliteration, and I'd rather have the Hebrew there. I could pronounce it properly. In offering, when they offered strange fire in Leviticus 10, 1 through 3, which cost them their lives. Okay, so he's asking, he's saying, well, 
if we can't accept meaning as inference, then why is Nadab and Abahu is he why are they um taken out? Because what 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 did they violate, in other words? He says he goes on to say any prohibition is in set terms on that subject will be sought for in vain. So again, did not our Savior, he says, tell the Sadducees that they ought to have inferred that the doctrine of the resurrection was true from what God said to Moses at the bush. So what is he getting at here and why do I bring this up? Well, we're talking about meaning as significance, not meaning itself. And that means personal application then was not properly made about the meaning that was in there um, based on the actual meaning of the text in the examples of both Nadab and Abahu and the Sadducees above regarding resurrection. So in other words, Nadab and Abahu misapplied the meaning of the text regarding how and when someone can approach the Lord, and they paid with their lives. In addition, unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees failed to apply the concept of resurrection to themselves. They understood the meaning of the concept of a resurrection um, as inferred from the biblical text from the Tanakh, or Old Testament, the and taught, and it was taught by the Pharisees. I mean, they, they didn't un, not understand the concept of a resurrection. They simply rejected it as having any true significance for them or truth, believing it was not applicable to them or even stating as much that the Bible doesn't speak of a resurrection, that that's just made up. But that shows us that meaning can be inferred and even the Messiah held the Sadducees accountable that for understanding the resurrection, basing his meaning by inference. So when it comes to significance by inference, we should understand that the truth intentions the author of a particular text sought to communicate can be inferred from what, what could be called the case law that is given us in the Torah. In other words, the Torah will often give a specific example of God's love and how we are to live our lives according to the laws of loving God and, and neighbor that he set up in the Torah. And God reveals his perfect love through the various details of the commandments and narrative elements of the Torah. And so we um, learn through these inferences, through this case law. The commandments in particular provide that case law to allow us to determine the significance God intended to communicate to us through the examples given, i.e. a specific contextualized meaning is given in the form of a specific commandment. This case law commandment then reveals the heart of the truth intention God is seeking to reveal to man. And it is up to man, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, to apply via inference that same truth intention when one of two things occurs. Either... The same type of context as the specific meaning of the commandment occurs in our modern day, and we apply it with the exact same way the ancients did, i.e., don't covet your neighbor's house or wife, etc., from Exodus twenty seventeen, for example. Or we're going to do it through inference. We make a modern application of the same truth intention based on the same meaning given in the original command, but the application in a modern context is going to carry uh, with it that same inferred significance. So maybe, you know, we don't have the, there's no temple. We don't have, um, we don't bring particular offerings to the temple because there is no temple right now. But, um, for example, in one community I was in, we had a corners of the field box. And so we would put a little, um, in modern terms, we'd put the, our 
we'd take our pocket change, if you will, and we'd, which would be considered similarly to, you know, making access to your income or your wealth to the poor. Um, and you'd buy some grocery cards or you'd buy some, um, um, gas cards or whatever. And we'd keep that stocked in the back of the, um, facility that we met and people could be poor with dignity, if you will. They could come and glean from that if they had a need without having to always go to the leadership to say, hey, you know, can I get help, some help? And so that is one modern way of applying this, the meaning, the idea of taking care of the poor among yourselves um, with the idea of the base um, case law of the corners of the field and yet applying it in a modern context. So uh, in other words, the heart of the Torah is to help us think how God thinks and to love as God loves. That is all time. I'm out of time. I'll see you next time. Uh, go to foritiswritten.com. That is foritiswritten.com. Have a blessed and wonderful day.